Hey, man. Welcome to the Faith Bridge Man podcast. My name is Sean Mansour, and I serve on the Faith Bridge Men's leadership team. I'm going to be your guest host today as we continue our Fight the Good Fight Faith Story podcast series. Hey, you may be wondering, why am I hosting today? Where's this Mace guy? Well, the reason is we are flipping the mics today. Mace is on here today, but not as the host this time. Shocker, he's here (laughs) to share his faith story. By popular demand. That's right. So good to see you, Mace. Um, All right. So all season, we've been uniting uh, around the rally cry to fight the good fight. So to believe the true gospel and be transformed by the gospel. So let's just get to it. Um, how did you first come to believe in the true gospel? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Um, so I grew up in this area in a great family, uh, very loving, stable home, so much that I'm incredibly grateful for. When it came to faith, I think the best way to describe my home growing up would be as cultural Christians. Um, the way I like to explain it to people who um, have maybe never heard that phrase before is, you know, if we got a survey, you know, you'd be filling out different questions. And then when you get to the question, okay, what religion are you? Uh, we would have checked the box Christian, but faith was never a very, wasn't a core part of our family life and rhythm. Uh, I think my parents did the best they could. Um, one of my parents was very disenfranchised with certain elements of the uh, capital C church. Um, and then my other parent, I think, you know, had a desire, but just wasn't really sure what to do. And so it just really wasn't a big part of our lives. And I can basically summarize my, my beliefs in my early years as there is a God, you know, some, the man upstairs, so to speak. Um, and that I knew Christmas had something to do with Jesus birth. Um, even though, you know, we just, did all the normal Christmas things, you know, I knew that it had something to do with Jesus. I knew that uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but I didn't really understand what that meant. You know, basically I had internalized this message that the message of Christianity, a really religion in general, but including Christianity is be a good person. And if you're a good person, if, if you're good outweighs the bad, as long as you're like 51% good, <laughs> Yeah. Then, you know, the cross basically just covers the other 49% or less. Um, so just be a good person. Cross will cover the rest and you're good. And so I kind of walked along for maybe the first 10, 11 years of my life, essentially believing that things really started to change when I hit my teen years. And so there, there was really two big factors that, that caused me to ev- abandon even those very rudimentary beliefs, if you want to even call them that. Uh, early on. Uh, one was as I entered my teen years, just being exposed to different worldviews, you know, whether it was different world religions or, uh, you know, science and what I didn't know this term at the time, but what we might call secular humanism that, um, you know, all that exists is the material world and things like morals, you know, just come from, you know, just use common sense kind of thing. Right. Um, and then second, uh, you know, just by my wiring, I'm a, a pretty analytical person. I, I pride myself on being a very logical, rational person. So I came to this conclusion that people believe, whether it's Christianity or whatever world religion, uh, for at least one of two reasons. Either 
your mama or your grandma told you, hey, this is what to believe, and you're not a critical thinker like I am. <laughs> so you just never question it, right? right? Or number two, it's essentially wishful thinking. You know, it helps you feel better that when a loved one dies, you can say, oh, well, they're in a better place. But there's there's no logical, rational, historical reasons for believing any of this stuff. And so, uh, like I mentioned, I, I pretty much just abandoned even those few threads of, of faith that I certainly don't think were saving faith that I even had. I essentially became an atheist. Technically, I was an agnostic. You know, I, I was like, I'm pretty sure there's not a God. But I don't know if we can know for sure, but I'm like 99.999999% sure there is no God. This is just all, you know, again, made up, wishful thinking, whatnot. Um, but maybe someone one day could convince me that I'm wrong. And so if, and this would probably apply to my early years too, because uh, I said Christian faith was never, even when I would have identified a, as a Christian, it was never like the central organizing principle of my life. So if it wasn't about that, what was it about? And essentially to me, life came down to two things. Be a good person and live the good life. Be a good person and live the good life. And the way I would have defined the good life is uh, I'm a third generation Mexican-American immigrant. And uh, I don't know if this was ever told to me explicitly or not, but definitely implicitly, I had internalized that, you know, living the good life, part of my duty um, as a person, especially as a man, is to give my children a more materially comfortable existence than what I had. And again, I had a great childhood, but I, I felt like this pressure was like, okay, my my grandparents came to this country, my, my you know, grandfather built fences for a living. Okay, my, my dad... Uh, was a police officer. Um, so I have to keep this trajectory going. So I got to go to college. I have to get a good job. I have to be able to provide an even quote unquote better life for my family. And life essentially to me is, was a, a meritocracy. What I mean by that was a person's value came from their gifts, their talents, their achievements. And so there was this, this constant drive uh, to do more and uh, one of the outworkings of that for me as well was um, if I did not perceive you as being a value add to me, helping me get to where I wanted to go, I didn't care about you, like at all. And at times I could have been a raging jerk. I think people that know me now, uh, and this is, I guess, part of the testimony to the grace of God, like would be shocked at just how mean I, I could be, you know, before I was a Christian. So how did this all come, you know, how do I go from there to, to believing the true gospel? So a couple things. So hold on, let me stop you there. Let yeah, me, let yeah. me ask you a few questions. Yeah, um, go for it. Or actually make a few comments to start. So just hearing kind of your beginnings, um, I think that myself personally, and I think there's a lot of men out there that can absolutely resonate with that story. Um, it sounds very much like you are being discipled by your circumstances and you are being discipled by what you allowed to, um, uh, intervene into your world, like who you would allow, allow to speak into you. And so 
it sounds like you really kept a um, very narrowed, um, comfortable perspective of life and very simplified life. Like, hey, performance is what I need to focus on. If I can perform and provide, then I'm good. Exactly right. And I think that the majority of men, myself included, my story is very similar. You just sprinkle a little of the Catholic Church in there. But um, I think a lot of men can resonate with that. And it's tough because you get stuck in this cycle of confirmation from the secular world that that's exactly who you need to be. And so at some point, there needs to be some sort of crossroads, which I think is where you're headed next. Right, right. So talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, life to me was about being a good person, living the good life. So I talked a little bit about the good life. What about the good person part? To me, that's what religion was all about. Christianity or otherwise, the, the core message is, is be a good person. And I didn't think I needed, you know, if that's what this is all about, like I don't need God, I don't need the Bible, I don't need Christianity to, to tell me to, to be a good person. In fact, you know, this is, you know, I'm in high school at this time. I considered myself a more moral person than many of the Christians I knew. Um, you know, many of the the kids that I went to high school with that were in church every Sunday, they were the ones out partying and drinking, doing drugs, having sex on the weekend. Uh, and I never got into any of that. And I'm like, so why do I need this? You know, I'm a better person than you. Uh, the problem was... Um, also, all during this time, throughout my, my teenage years, I developed an addiction to pornography. And even though I was not a Christian, didn't care one bit about what the Bible had to say anything about gender and sexuality, there was just something deep in my soul that told me, like, this isn't right. And every time, you know, I engaged in that activity, I, I was always left, you know, crushed with guilt and shame and mm. regret. And so I said, okay, I want to stop this. So I'm going to do what I've done with every other area of my life and been successful in is I'm going to will myself into overcoming this. <laughs> yeah. You that know? doesn't work too well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know that now, right? <laughs> so, you know, every other part of my life, you know, I, I, I said earlier that I, I prided myself on being a very logical, rational person. I also prided myself on being a very disciplined person and that when I had a, I'm a pretty type A person, I set a goal and I march on to, to meet that goal. So goal was, you know, stopping to looking at pornography and I failed miserably time and time again. And it was the only thing that I, I, I was unsuccessful at, you know, early on in life that I cared about and tried and, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, if my identity and my value is based on my performance, to fail was crushing, you know, regardless of even like the moral implications of it, right? Right. And, and it was this thing that I, I struggled with in the, the dark. Um, you know, I had met this amazing girl who was just perfect. And I, I knew that like, if she knew who I really was, right? If she knew what I did in the dark, like, she would reject me. She'd abandon me. And so I just had to keep it hidden and had to keep just trying. And I failed and failed and failed. Well, by God's grace, you know, I did meet this girl um, right around the, you know, time 
that I'm kind of going through all this right around the time that I'm starting to become addicted to pornography, right around the time that I'm, uh, you know, becoming this agnostic atheist. And uh, she became a Christian around that time. And so over the period of years, pretty much all throughout middle school, high school, she would just regularly engage me in spiritual conversations. Now her wiring uh, is very different. Uh, she has uh, very much more what I would call, and I mean this in a very positive sense, a childlike faith. You know, she heard the gospel. She just knew deep down in her soul that it was true and never questioned it. And so, you know, I would ask her all these questions, you know, just kind of typical uh, hard questions of, of of the faith. What about the problem of evil? What about, you know, why is such and such wrong? And, and the answer was, well, the Bible says this. And so my inevitable follow-up was like, well, tell me why I should care about the, what the Bible has to say about anything, right? right. And, and she just wasn't equipped at that time to answer those questions. But what I credit her with is she was faithful. Mm. And just over and over and over again, we would have these, these spiritual conversations. And so um, it's the last semester of high school, and we start having these conversations again. And I kind of thought, okay, my thesis this whole time has been you shouldn't believe something without having reason to believe it. Well, the converse of that is you shouldn't discredit something if you haven't like truly investigated. And outside of conversations, you know, with this girl, I couldn't really say I'd ever given Christianity a fair chance. Okay. So where do you go to learn about Christianity? Well, I guess you go to church. Well, I already told you what I thought about the Christians I went to high school with. Yeah. Uh, add to that, you know, um, I'm like a nine out of 10 on the introvert spectrum. So large, the church she was going to is very large church, very large youth group. So going to this huge youth group, which a, with a bunch of people that I think are hypocrites uh, and probably have a bunch of clicks and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, no thanks. So I made a deal with her. I said, look, we're about to graduate. Um, you know, so we're about to, I don't know what it looks like going from high school to whatever they have it for college students at this church. Um, but I'll go with you there. And so after we graduated high school, we started going to the Sunday school class at the church she was attending at the time. And the uh, Sunday school uh, leader of that college group uh, was a woman by the name of Angie Black, who is now a, a faith bridger as well. And so it's so fun to, um, you know, get to continue to see her. Absolutely. And so the very first series of lessons that they were doing that summer was on apologetics. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know what apologetics is, it's basically defending the faith, you know, logical, rational, historical reasons for the truth of Christianity. And I sat there, you know, the whole time with my, my arms crossed, kind of picking apart the arguments in my head. Um, but what it showed me was this, you know, up until this time, I pretty much, with the one exception being this girl that I talked about, um, pretty much I looped all Christians into one bucket. You're all anti-intellectual, hypocritical bigots. I know now that some Christians <laughs> are anti-intellectual, hypocritical bigots, uh, but there are brilliant Christian thinkers that 
even if I disagreed with their conclusions at that time, I could no longer say the only reason why people believe Christianity is because they've never thought through the hard questions. There are really intelligent people that have sought answers to those questions. And even if I was unconvinced, my narrative that I had built in my head was starting to, to crumble. All during this time, I'm still wrestling with pornography, all this sort of stuff, dealing with guilt and shame and regret. And I distinctly remember Angie standing in the middle of the room preaching the gospel. And I remember her saying, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And that truth hit me by like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Um, you know, that striving for earning that, that rat race, I could be freed of that. But then on the flip side, this thing that I was dealing with in the dark that I guess you could say I couldn't forgive myself for, God was willing to forgive me of that because of what Jesus did on the cross. I was blown away. Yeah. And not only was I blown away, uh, like from an emotional standpoint, but by the end of that summer, I still had more questions than answers, but I'd become convinced of the core tenets of the gospel that Jesus really existed. Cause at the beginning of this journey, like the jury was out for me on that. Like, how do we even know this guy really existed? He did. He really existed. He was the son of God. He died on the cross for my sins rose again from the grave and that I could be made right with God. I could be forgiven and have freedom by grace through faith in him. And so one day, uh, that girl, her name is Jennifer and I were having lunch at Chick-fil-A, uh, Jesus chicken. Yes, and, sir. uh, you know, she looked for another opportunity to open up a spiritual conversation. Uh, so her, her easy in, there was a, a Christian song playing and she goes, Oh, I love this song. And I didn't take the bait. <laughs> so <laughs> come on, mate. Uh, come on. So she, you know, pressed a little bit further. She goes, you know, you you've been attending this Sunday school class with me now for a couple months. What what do you think about this whole Jesus thing? And I told her, I, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to to commit commit my life to Jesus. And so we uh finished our chicken sandwiches and our waffle fries and <laughs> went out to her her car and um I committed my life to, to Christ at the end of that summer between uh, summer and high school. And so what I tell people is uh, the best decision I ever made was the decision to follow Jesus. The second best decision I ever made was to marry the girl who was pivotal in bringing me to Jesus. So that, that girl, Jennifer, is now my wife of almost uh, 12 years and just super thankful for her. And if I could just summarize everything that I've said so far— um, Part one of my, my faith story is coming to the conviction that Jesus is real. That's great, man. Amen. Amen on that. So there's a couple things that you brought up and all that um, that I'd like to dive just a little bit deeper in. Um, you're talking about pornography, and I know there's a lot of men out there that struggle deeply with that. And... Um, it, you get in that, we call it, well, a lot of people call it the crazy cycle um, or crazy making. And it's we convince ourselves that um, we need love and we can, well, we kind of have an innate desire for love. And we convince ourselves that there's there's avenues for love that we can identify outside of 
God outside of Christ. And we can get that positive reinforcement for a moment. Mm -hmm. And sin oftentimes provides that for us because sin does deliver right. in the moment. There's right. no question. Right. Otherwise, why would we do it at all? And so getting stuck into that cycle of needing and desiring some sort of positive input and getting stuck in that cycle of performing the sin, getting that reinforcement, then here comes the shame and guilt, feeling crappy about yourself, needing more porn to make to pull yourself out of that right. rut, getting more guilt and shame. And it's just this horrible cycle that, that a lot of men find themselves in. Absolutely right. Um, and then freedom came. Yes. And that moment that you had freedom from that, I want you to talk about that just a little bit more. Um, and then, but before I get there, before I get there, in, my, in our men's group, we talk about random, these random events. So you're going to this class, you're seeking questions about some of the hard intellectual aspects of it, and randomly, they're talking about apologetics. Right, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's a God moment. Absolutely. That, man, that was a divine appointment. He he was seeking after your heart in a way that was just, I mean, you could have had a thousand different topics, but the fact that that was the one there at that moment for you, that's fabulous. Yeah. And that's a fabulous story. And being open to it and uh, allowing God to speak to you through that opportunity is why you're here today. Amen. I mean, the, just that one little nugget, which right. is fabulous. So anyway, so talk to, talk to me just a little bit more about that freedom, man. Right, yeah. Um, so the freedom for me originally was just the fact that I was forgiven. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a, a Christian artist out there by the name of Jimmy Needham. Uh, he's actually a local boy from Tomball and uh, grew up uh, in Ben Stewart's youth ministry here at Faith Bridge. Uh, I didn't know that at the time, um, but he had this song out at the time, right around the time that I'm going through this. It, I think it's called Forgiven and Loved. You know, and it's just, that's just kind of the refrain, like, child, you're forgiven and loved. And like, I would get weepy. I would just like listen to that song over and over and over again. Again, this idea that, this thing that just plagued me with guilt and shame and regret, this thing that I couldn't get over, the thing, this thing that I, I hated myself because I couldn't beat it. Child, you're forgiven. Yeah. You're loved. And so that was the first bit of freedom, but it was not a, I very much do not have the, I was strung out on drugs, blah, 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 blah. I came to Jesus <laughs> and never touched a drug a, a day in my life. Like, no, I was still addicted. Sure. Um, and still struggle with that. And my my early faith years were marked by doubt in two senses. Number one, I would still, man, do I really believe this? Do I, am, I, am I absolutely sure this is true? And if I do, am I sure that I'm saved? You know, because then the the tactic that the enemy would try to do is, you know, you you commit that sin. And, and the devil's like, man, you say you love Jesus. If you really right. love Jesus, why, why are you doing this? You know, absolutely. He's the one that like holds the the rotten carrot out in front of you, <laughs> but then shames you for eating the carrot. You know, it, exactly. And it's like, <laughs> what what's going on here? You know. And I I reference Ben Stewart. I uh, through a whole series of just relationships and and situations. About a year after coming to know the Lord, uh, 
was when we started coming to Faith Bridge. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's no surprise to anybody, um, you know, that's been at Faith Bridge for any length of time, but Ben's messages in particular really spoke to me in those early years. He, uh, one on the, the doubting, like, am I sure I believe this? He has a talk called, uh, has the Bible been corrupted that he's done a couple times here. Yes. Uh, he's done it at passion city DC. That talk was like pivotal in my Absolutely. life. Um, and then he also, and he did a, a series one time through the book of first John. And there's some verses in first John that seem scary that like, if you're sinning, are you sure you, you love God? But there's also verses in first John that say, if anyone thinks he doesn't have sin, he's fooling himself. And if we do sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And, and Ben did a, you know, a whole series of messages on first John that really addressed that, that issue of assurance of salvation. So fast forward. Yep. Um, you know, I say the first part of my story was coming to believe that Jesus was real. Second part of my story was coming to understand that Jesus is amazing. You know, even when I first got saved and I remember Jennifer telling Angie and the other uh, people in that college Sunday school class uh, about it. And everyone was like all excited for me. Honestly, I thought they were like kind of making too big of a deal out of it. You know, <laughs> I was just like, okay, y'all, y'all like, you know, really excited about yeah, this. Easy. I didn't right, like right. a trophy or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> And so the best way I can describe it is um, if faith is a light switch with a little dimmer switch on it. You know, when I first came to Christ, the light switch flipped on. I do believe that I was genuinely saved. I had genuine saving faith. But that light switch was on, the dimmer switch was on low for those first several years. You know, I'm just kind of plugging along, definitely seeing fruit in my life, no doubt. But again, it was more like the tortoise, you know, slow and steady wins the race, not that 180 experience. And then after a few years of that, it was like someone grabbed that dimmer switch and just cranked it on full blast. Mm. And all of a sudden I got hungry and I just was like, could not eat up enough scripture, enough sermons. And so um, I'm like, okay, what do I do? I'm, I'm hungry. Again, like I said, I, I knew that I really enjoyed Ben's preaching. And so I was a teacher at the time. And so I had summers off. During the course of one summer, I literally listened to every single breakaway sermon that they had on their website from Ben Stewart. I just ate it all up. That's a lot. Um, and uh, then I also was like, okay, then I got through all of Ben's sermons. I'm like, where do I go next? Well, I'd heard this name, John Piper, a couple times from Ben. I'm like, okay, well, if Ben likes this guy. He's probably pretty good. And so I you know, started listening to a couple sermons from him. And I'd never heard anyone preach like that. He preached this huge, massive view of God. And this, this idea that, um, like not only is God sovereign and powerful and mighty, but he's also the greatest thing in the universe that it doesn't matter what else you're chasing money, power, sex, comfort, you name it doesn't matter what you fill that blank in with. It pales in comparison to a life like fully devoted to, to Jesus. And it just, it just rocked my world. So, you know, 
getting back around to the, the idea of pornography. So I'm hungry. I'm looking to grow. I'm like, what's next? And so I thought, okay, if someone walks in off the street to Faith Bridge and is like, I want to grow in my faith, uh, you know, what would we say? Well, we'd say we're about the rhythm of worship plus two. Okay, so worship. Are you engaging in, in corporate worship every week? Check. Okay, the second one is, is grow. Uh, you know, are you in a grow group? Okay, not only can I check the grow group box at this point, but by this point, my wife and I are leading a grow group. It's like, I'm the leader of this thing. You know, <laughs> who's leading me? Right. Uh, and then, you know, you got to get on a, you know, serving. Or you got to get on a serve team. Uh, you know, check. I could check all those boxes. Okay, well, uh, what about your personal devotional life? Are you having a daily, you know, quiet time where you're reading scripture and praying? And while I struggled with that for the first several years of of my my Christian faith, uh, by this point, my wife and I are married. Um, you know, so I had that like kind of live in accountability partner, so to speak. <laughs> nice. Um, and not that she ever scolded me into it, but just frankly, her example of of getting up early and and spending time in scripture, that helped me. By this point, by the time that dimmer switch is cranked up on high, you know, I have that daily discipline. I'm like, I don't know what to do next. And so I, I go to this grow group leader gathering and Dylan Lucas gets up there and he starts talking about discipleship. And he says, you know, we have grow groups and they're great. He said, but we're going to start these new groups. They're going to be called micro groups. And it's going to be, one-on-two or one-on-three discipleship um, for about a year, year and a half for a very intensive season of spiritual growth. And yeah, there's curriculum involved in all that sort of stuff, but it's not about a book. The leader's job is to get to know you. Where are you at in life? Where are you at in faith? And help you figure out your next steps. And it was like the light bulb immediately went off. It was like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> like, that's it. That's Where what I, I need. Where do I sign up? Um, and so I... Uh, I immediately went to Dylan, you know, he had talked about, he's like, if you're interested in this, let me know, you know, I'll put you on our list. I'm like, put me on the list. I need to be on that list. <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure. And so, um, fast forward just a little bit. I got hooked up with, um, my discipler named David Dean, a super awesome guy, still active here at faith bridge. And then a, another young man named Aaron. And, um, that experience was life changing for me in two ways. Number one, I've already talked about kind of my analytical wiring. And so I'm reading scripture and I just have all these questions. And, you know, while I was in a grow group and grow groups genuinely are safe places to ask questions like, you know, whether it's a perception or reality, I was like, I'm not going to derail the whole group's discussion because of this, you know, question that I have. Cause I seem to be asking questions that again, whether perception or reality, other people just don't seem to be asking, you know? So I'm not going to, quote, waste everyone's time asking this question. Well, because of the way microgroups are structured, there is content, but it's not a, we have to get through this book in a certain amount of time. It's very customizable. You know, there was just freedom to be able to ask all of the questions that were on my mind and be able to take as much time as needed to unpack those. Yeah, go down those rabbit holes. Exactly that right. you need to uncover. Exactly to right. To validate and uh, support your beliefs. Right. And, and secondly, while I had made some progress, uh, for sure, in regards to pornography, circling back around to that, you know, by this point, it was in the context of that group that was the first time that I ever talked to someone else about that struggle. 
you know, and uh, James talks about near the end of his letter, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I experienced that firsthand in that group. It still wasn't like 180 overnight, you know, struggling with porn, confess next day, never looked at it again. But like if I was charting the growth, it, it was again, it was kind of slow and steady. All of a sudden it shot up and like the power that that had over me and the power that the enemy had over me in that area virtually vanished overnight. Um, and with a short amount of time, uh, you know, within a short amount of time, it, it became not only freedom in that initial sense of forgiveness, but freedom from addiction to freedom. Uh, you know, I, I finally started to have that experience where like sin lost its taste because by this point I knew not only intellectually, but experientially obedience is always better that the enemy says, you know, this is going to feel good. It's going to make you happy. And like you said, maybe for a split second, but then there's that crash, right? Yes. When I, in those moments of temptation that I would hold fast, you know, there's, there's a verse, uh, I think it's in first Corinthians where Paul says, flee sex, sexual immorality. There was times where I would be, you know, home alone. Uh, and it was like, literally my wife would walk out the door and that voice comes into my head. Hey, you know what you should do? There was times where I literally left my house and like walk, you know, took a walk around the block and then felt better and was like, okay, good. The joy of not giving in in that moment, the joy of obedience, the joy of surrender far surpassed any, you know, temporary dopamine hit that the pornography gave me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, couple things that you brought up there was when that light switch flipped and you were making that progress and then the dimmer switch went on high, what I heard from you was you went full investment. Like you invested your time, your effort, your energy, much like any other relationship that we seek after. We can't expect that relationship to really grow and grow significant unless we're willing to invest. And so when you amped it up, you started invested and got all in, man, the more you gave, God just amplified it right. more and more back, right. which is fabulous. That, I mean, that's that's what I see in my men's group. That's what I see in my own walk, um, that, that Christianity is not passivity. Right. It's not just sitting on our butt saying, hey, God, you know, what are you going to do for me today? Right. But it's seeking after that relationship, you know? And I think um, for a lot of guys, they, they miss that point. Right. Um, just showing up to a shop talk or just showing up to a breakfast, although it's great, doesn't stop there. Right. Um, you Hopefully, your, your spirit gets sparked, it gets led to drive you in that direction of investment. And then as you are seeing that obedience, that surrender, provide so much joy than that sin ever did. Absolutely. And that is just such that reinforcement that we need to continue to fight the good fight, right? right exactly. Absolutely. Right. Because if we didn't have that, if that wasn't real, if that wasn't happening, then we wouldn't ever be led in that direction. There's no way. I mean, we would keep falling back and significantly falling back. 
That brings up another point, and I love this. Throughout this whole journey, I'm hearing you're getting amped up, but you're still struggling some. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the reality. Right. We all struggle, and it's it's a lifelong struggle. Right. You know, our faith is is not a destination; it's a journey, right? And it's going to be there from the beginning to the end. So there's going to be moments leading up to your death, my death, all our deaths, where we're still going to be fighting. We're still going to be struggling some and having the comfort and confidence in whose we are and the relationship that that we've helped develop um, with God right. um, is what gets us there. Exactly right. And it gets us there, you know, um, progress, not perfection. Right. Yeah. And so take the pressure off. Focusing on that relationship drives the bus. Exactly right. And so, anyway, I love that. I love uh, the transformation and everything. So, um, is there anything more you want to talk about that before we get into the next step? Um, yeah, I would. I would say one other angle of my story that um, you know I would want the men listening to be able to hear. Kind of going back to um, you know John Piper and and. The, the influence of, of his ministry. So already kind of talked about the one, this idea of true joy is found in radical obedience to Christ. Yes. Another theme of his preaching that I didn't know was going to pay off, but it was planting seeds, was a theology of suffering, understanding um, what to do when life kicks you in the teeth. Hmm. Um because again, I mean, I know I talked about, um, you know, the pornography was the first thing that I couldn't will myself to overcome. But outside of that, like, my life was really smooth, you know, comfortable, middle class, suburban life, stable home life, um, good grades, successful, got the first job that I ever applied for, uh, you know found a, an amazing wife, all this sort of stuff. Things, things were tracking along just great. Right. Um, until, um, it came time to have children. Mm-hmm. So, um, to try to keep a long story short, um, guys, if you're listening and you're not married, uh, make sure that when you move there, that you, you talk a little bit more in depth than my wife and I did before we got married about children. Um, <laughs> it's kind of one of those key right. things that you need to discuss. Our, 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 our conversation went, I want to have kids. Do you want to have kids? Yep. Okay. You know, done. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, what we didn't know uh, was we were on totally different uh, places in terms of when we wanted to start trying, how many kids we ha- want to have. And that was probably the biggest source of tension our first couple of years. But about two years of marriage, we, we were in alignment. We're like, okay. We want to get started. You know, we want to have children. One month goes by, two months goes by, six years or, or six months goes by, no child. Uh, and then we start, you know, seeing doctors. We start to get some diagnoses, um, start trying uh, just about everything that they have available outside of um, IVF. Um, our take on IVF uh, is. Uh, this. Uh, We are not against it in principle. What we feel very strongly is from a Christian perspective, if we believe that life begins at conception, we want to talk big about that, right? And pro-life 
situations, and rightly so. That means every child, every you know, fertilized embryo in the IVF process, that is a child. Make sure you understand that. Secondly, it's expensive. Mm. At this point, we are a public school teacher and a part-time ministry worker. <laughs> Neither of those fields is known for being very financially lucrative. <laughs> Turns out, yes. So we knew for us, we had fought so hard to not turn having a child into an idol. You know, again, credit to John Piper and his ministry that God's grace is sufficient. And if he's sovereign, even over suffering, not that he's the author of evil, but as Genesis 50, 20 says, what Man means for evil, God means for good. The greatest Amen. example of that is the cross, right? Mm -hmm. um, that what the, the Jewish leadership, what Pilate and Rome meant for evil, the death of the Son of God, God worked for good. Yes. Salvation, right? And so we didn't want to turn having a child into an idol. And we didn't believe that at our income level, what we would have had to do in order to save that amount of money there's no way we could have done that without turning it into an idol. And so um, we just had to come to a place of, of surrender and just, Lord, children are a gift from you. We know that children are a, a, a good thing. But if you have chosen in your sovereignty to withhold that gift from us, that means you have something better for us. We don't know what that is, but we know it's there and we trust you. So fast forward two years into our infertility journey, um, we started talking about adoption. Well, we, had, we didn't start talking about it. We, we had talked about it before, but um, I was never very interested in it. Uh, my wife from an early age wanted to adopt. I was like, no, that's weird. I don't know. Uh, but all during this time, as again, I'm growing in my faith, and I start learning about the doctrine of our adoption that we are all born spiritual orphans. And part of salvation is, yes, forgiveness, but it's more than that. God is not just a judge who forgives us, though he is that. He's also a father mm. who adopts us. Abba. And so while, you know, I came to understand, you know, helping a child in need is reason enough to get involved in that world, and there's multiple ways to get involved. Um, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And so um, my wife and I wound up becoming licensed foster to adopt parents. Over the course of two years, we fostered 10 children, ultimately wound up uh, uh, adopting our son. Um, but um, we knew in every case, again, credit to John Piper, doctrine of God's sovereignty, like he knows better than us. So if in, if his will is for this child to be in our home for two days, two years, or a lifetime, we're going to trust that he knows best, that we're going to uh, uh, surrender that to him. And then uh, between parenting, generally, parenting a child from trauma, trials come. Yeah. And uh, in parenting, I've, I've regularly been you know, brought to the end of myself. And again, I, apart from Christ and of car, apart from having a, a, a theology of suffering, 
I wouldn't know what to do with that. But I know that even in those hard moments, you know, we love to quote Romans 8, 28, right? That uh, all things work to uh, good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a verse in a larger flow of thought, right? Yes. Keep reading. For God, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined to what? To be conformed into the image of his son. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. So the good that Romans 8.28 is talking about is being conformed into the image of Christ, that he's refining you, that he's removing the dross. And so, okay, Lord, I know that you know better. You're my perfect, wise, loving Father. So even those moments where I'm brought to the end of myself, I know that you're doing something. And again, little did we know how much we would have to lean into that. So... A few months before uh, we adopted our son, we found out that my wife was pregnant uh, on my birthday oh. of, of all days. And so we go to the doctor. We're going random. having ultrasounds and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, random. Um, and everything's checking out great. We graduate from the infertility doctor. We go to the 11-week ultrasound with the regular OB. And the ultrasound technician, you know, takes all his pictures and whatnot. Here's the toes. Here's the fingers, all this sort of stuff. And he, he says, uh, he, he walks us out and he goes, wait here. Uh, I need to go get the doctor. I, I'm clueless at this point. My wife knows what's up. She's yeah. like, those are tough words. This was, this was not supposed to happen. You know, this is just supposed to say, hey, here, here's your baby. Goodbye. Right. You know, have a great day. So, um, we go back to see the doctor, and she walks in, sits down, and says, I'm sorry. There's a problem with the baby. And our, our baby's ultrasound uh, showed um, signs of a, a condition known as a crania, meaning that her, uh, what we found out would be a girl. Uh, her skull had failed to form properly. And then because of that, uh, the amniotic fluid actually starts to deteriorate the brain and it, and it turns into a, a condition called anencephaly. And we were told if my wife even made it full term and if our baby was born alive, they wouldn't be alive for long. And so we held it together as you know best as we possibly could and the moment the doctor walked out the door, we just erupted into tears. Yeah, of course. So we sit there crying for a few minutes, and finally we, we did the, the only thing we knew to do was, was to pray. Awesome. And the only thing we knew to pray was that somehow, some way, even amidst this tragedy, God would be glorified. And he was so faithful to answer that prayer. So um, on April 10th, 2017, our daughter, Hannah Grace, was born, born alive. Uh, and we chose that name, Hannah, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Hannah, in the book of 1 Samuel, struggled with infertility. And so that was a woman's story who my wife had always resonated with. And uh, there's this verse in 1 Samuel 27 when God finally opens her womb and she says, for this child, I have prayed. 
and she dedicates him, the prophet Samuel, to the Lord. And we knew, we had this name picked out long before we got pregnant and, and had a daughter. We knew that if we had a child and it was a girl, we were going to name her Hannah. Because if the Lord decided to open my wife's womb, it was him. And we were going to dedicate that child's life to him. And that didn't change. Middle name, Grace. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh. And he prays over and over to the Lord, please remove this thorn. And the Lord says, I'm not going to, but my grace is sufficient, my grace is sufficient for you. And so our, our daughter was, was born on April 10th, lived for 31 hours and 22 minutes. And, um, you know, as parents, we're supposed to teach our children. My daughter taught me so much. She taught me that, that life is not measured in days and years. It's measured by how well you glorify God. Amen. And she did that. And countless awesome. lives have been uh, touched because of her. And I'm so grateful. Awesome. And then, you know, so we go through the grieving process and we're still grieving. I mean, her fifth birthday just passed. You know, that was a big milestone. Um, but we get through kind of the initial, you know, really hard months of it. We go, okay, we're ready to start trying again. First month wife gets pregnant and uh we ultimately give birth to our second daughter haven in september of, of 28 2018 uh haven elizabeth is her name elizabeth because like hannah from the bible also another woman who struggled with infertility uh, and her first name haven because because we what we had learned not just from preaching but from life Trials will come into her life. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But no matter what, the Lord is with you. So her name is our prayer for her, that the Lord would be her refuge. And again, little did we know how quickly we would have to lean on that. At 10 days old, uh, she was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis, got really sick, um, had to go to the hospital. One of the amazing God stories is... Uh, she was uh, admitted at the same hospital that Becky Slagle, Pastor Dan's wife, works at the start of her shift. And so Becky was there to, to help shepherd us through the, the whole process. And um, the, e doc, the, ER, the ER doctor, when he came and told us the diagnosis, said, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it did. You know, eventually she's having seizures. Eventually she went septic as the infection was just raging in her body and uh, you know at one point she's all puffed up like a balloon she's got leads all over her body needles in all sorts of different places and i remember sending an sos you know prayer request text message to a bunch of guys a bunch of guys that i'd been in discipleship with over the years and just said you know hey it's not good we need your prayers. I don't even know what to ask for. I just know we need your prayers. And I hit send and I, and I passed out. By God's grace, she not only came through that and survived that infection, but um, despite the risk of a lot of long-term complications, despite that 
her brain MRIs literally show areas of brain damage. She's doing amazing. She's three and a half years old, not three. If you say she's three, she will correct you. <laughs> of no, course. I'm three and a half. <laughs> yes, baby, you are. I'm so sorry. Um, and so not only is she, you know, alive and well, but she is literally our walking, talking miracle. And I, and I say all this um, because, because of the fact that I came to Christ as a young adult. I can still put my mind in kind of pre-Christ mace. And I don't know exactly how pre-Christ Mace would have handled everything we've been through, but I know that he would be in a very dark place. Yes, absolutely. There's no question. I, I love your story, man. That's, that's um, an amazing representation of refinement um, and that in the life of a Christian, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be moments where we'll be on our knees uh, seeking him and probably quite more often than we ever anticipate. Um, Your obedience and your full surrender, man, that just, that speaks volumes of your relationship. There's nothing else to say um, about that other than that's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Um, It's amazing to see how, how deeply God is woven in your story at every step. And man, I want that for every guy, mm-hmm. you know, um, I want that for myself. Yeah. Um, and just having the comfort knowing that, Hey, you know, refinement's coming, but I also got you. Right. And that's the difference between pre mace and <laughs> pre gospel mace right. and post gospel mace is you did have hope. You did have a savior you did have somewhere to turn, um, and you had the ability to glorify him even in this moment through all of that. Exactly right. And so praise God and all that. So we never stop being transformed by the gospel. So tell us about where Mace Perez and the Perez family are today and what is God doing in your life and what's your trajectory, brother? Yeah, absolutely. So... Talking about that season of my life when the dimmer switch went up on full and seeing that not only is Christ real, but he's amazing. The flip side of that coin became a burden for those who didn't know, just like you just described. Like there's so many people that don't know the joy and the hope and the grace found only in Jesus Christ. And so we do this exercise when we're training small group leaders. It's called burden plus passion plus vision equals mission. So our burden is how many lost people there are in the world, how many people that don't know Jesus. As much progress as the gospel has made in the world, two out of three people in our world today don't know Jesus. One out of three doesn't even have access to the gospel. That means they don't even have the opportunity to hear and respond to this good news of the, of the Savior, of the hope we have. And beyond that... Um, there's a lot of what I might call lost Christians. And I don't necessarily mean that in the sense that they're, you know, they're not saved, but they're missing out on so much more that that joy that we talked about that comes from fully surrendering your life to Jesus. And so my, my passion is, is teaching and discipleship. You know, when that light switch went on, 
scripture was opening up to me like it never had before. It was finally starting to make sense. And I seemed to have an ability to, to help other people understand it and loved when the lights would turn on for other people, whether it was that initial saving moment, whether it was even a pre-saving moment, like someone's just like me all those years ago, just the wall starting to get broken down, or whether it was a Jesus follower just learning to take, take their next step of faith. Like, uh, in a sense, I was addicted to it, you know, like, uh, like, man, this is amazing. Like I want my life to be about sharing the gospel, helping people not only understand the scriptures, the scriptures are not an end in of themselves. They're a means to a greater end, understanding who God is and how amazing he is. And that's my passion. And our, our vision is that the most powerful way of reaching the lost and reinvigorating the, the believer is through the planting and multiplication of healthy, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting churches. And as we've looked into it, Houston in particular presents an amazing opportunity for a movement of the gospel. That even here in Houston, in the so-called Bible Belt, there are hundreds of thousands of people that don't know Jesus. In fact, one out of five Houstonians is what they call a nun, N-O-N-E-S, uh, meaning they claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. Wow. They're your agnostics and your spiritual but not religious, a.k.a. the Mace Perez's of the world 15 or so years ago. Uh, and that number is growing. Our population is growing by 250 people per day. That's three times the average congregation size in America per day that our, yeah. our, our city is growing. And many of those people are coming from all over the world. They're coming for school at Rice or U of H. They're coming for work. Um, they're coming to seek refuge. We have a huge refugee population here in Houston. And so, you know, Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, his parting words to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. And we should. We should go. We need people like Bennett Boyd to to pack their bags and move across uh, the, the sea to to share the gospel in, in other places of the world. We need people to go to the unreached tribes and people groups of the world. But there's an, also an amazing opportunity to reach the nations here in Houston and then from Houston see the God's gospel spread from Houston to the ends of the earth. And so burden plus passion plus vision equals mission. As we've been processing all this, our mission that we feel that we've been called to is to plant uh, a disciple-making, church-multiplying, missionary-sending church that reflects the kingdom of God in the heart of our city of Houston. And so our next step is I'm going to be doing a church-planting residency with a church inside the loop of Houston called Neartown Church that uh, I'm going to start in August, and I'm going to do that residency while I also wrap up my final year of my seminary studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Oh, wow. Dude, that sounds awesome. That sounds um, amazing, and you know, I, I love the fact, I love the fact that um, you're accessing the least, the last, and the lost here, right. um, in our own backyard. Yeah. Um, I think we all get on that bandwagon to uh, to go to a mission here and there, you know, overseas or what have you, but man, we got so much, so many lost souls in our backyard that just get kind of neglected. Right. Um, and what an amazing opportunity, man, right. to, to really share the gospel here at home. Right. Should we, should we share the gospel here 
or should we share the gospel around the world? Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, both and, you know? And Absolutely. So, uh, Absolutely. It's, it's what has God called you to do, and we feel like, uh, and I could spend a whole other hour-long podcast like unpacking all the, the things that the Lord has shown us that he's saying that's made it clear, I'm calling you to Houston, but he's not calling us for Houston just for Houston's sake. Right. To trans For the gospel to transform our city right. and for the gospel to go from our city to the world. Yes. So if we did not see Houston as an incredible opportunity to be a mission-sending hub, we would be the ones going across the, the right. ocean around the world. But we feel like what God has called us, at least to this uh, in this season, is to be senders, to reach the lost, to disciple them, and then to send them out. Perfect. Yeah, the hub and spoke. I love it. I love it. So, so tell us. So if we want to, if we have the desire, if we're feeling led to get behind you, in any way, shape, or form to support you, how can we do that? How can we support the Perez family through this season of life in this amazing missional opportunity? How can we then help provide you that opportunity? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. You know, we've been talking throughout this this whole season of Fight the Good Fight, like, you don't do that alone. Yeah, <laughs> You do no it way. together, right? Absolutely. And so we, we absolutely need... Uh, an army of of supporters, and and there's three main ways people can do that: praying, giving, and going. So we need an army of prayer warriors that are praying for our family, praying for the Lord to work through us to to reach the lost, to disciple the believers. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be sending out regular updates on exactly that, what the Lord is up to, and and how pe specifically people can be praying for our family and for our work. Um, and so people can subscribe to that. Uh, we need people who are willing to, to open their wallets. You know, uh, when it comes to missions, uh, we need uh, senders and we need goers. And so we need goers, and we, we very much feel like we are missionaries to the city of Houston. We need senders, and, and part of that is, is financially. And so we have to raise about $100,000 for my residency year so that we can uh, devote ourselves fully to the work of making disciples in the heart of the city. And so people can do that by giving through Neartown Church. Uh, and so uh, it's not just, hey, give me money. It's, hey, you know, <laughs> right. uh, a, a vetted 501c3 uh, tax deductible. And so that there's some accountability uh, in there as well. Great. And then we need goers. We need men and families who feel a call to 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 preach the gospel to the lost, who feel a call to see about uh, new, vibrant, gospel-centered churches uh, saturating our city and then spreading from our city around the world. And so we need people to be a part of our, our team, boots on the ground with us. And so if people feel led to do one of those things, led to pray, led to, to give, led to go, uh, they can go to faithbridge.org slash Perez family, and all the information on how to do that's right there. Oh, fabulous, man. That's awesome. Um, so kind of as a final question, so we, we know the, the story of how Mace came to be and came here. We know kind of what your trajectory is. Man, there, there feels, I know in, in my heart, there feels like there might be a, a hole left when you leave. So, so what, what's next for like the men's ministry here? Yeah. What's, where's that going to go? Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I take that as a word of encouragement, uh, you know, 
in terms of what I've sought by God's grace to do here. Um, but the good news is the men's ministry of Faith Bridge has never risen and fallen with Mace Perez. The heart of Faith Bridge men's ministry is the men of Faith Bridge. And that's not going away. We have guys like you and Mark Hartman and Mike Bragg and others who are on our leadership team who have been helping me, you know, direct this men's ministry, helping plan and pull off events. Um, we have the dozens of men who have stepped up to lead and to serve, whether that's grow groups or micro groups or help us pull off events. And we have the literally hundreds of men at FaithBridge who have bought into what we're doing uh, with FaithBridge Men's Ministry. Uh, and beyond that, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding that our, our senior pastor chose to speak at our men's event this past Saturday um, and spoke very highly of, of everything that's going on in the men's ministry. So we have the support, you know, at the highest levels of faith bridge. And so, uh, you know, I am just one cog in a, in a, in a larger, you know, operation. And while we are prayerfully seeking, you know, my replacement on staff, um, no doubt that the momentum that we've, uh, been building, is, is just going to keep right on, on going. We have an amazing summer podcast series lined up, FAQs answering common questions that men have, ways that men can you know even submit questions. We got a, a summer study, a video series from Ben Stewart coming up, and we already have our men's Bible study for the fall already planned out. Um, so that's all going to be ready to go uh, long before I have my last day on staff, which will be June 30th. And so, you know, What's next for men's ministry at FaithBridge? It's men's lives being transformed by the gospel. It's men developing brotherhood with one another, and it's men living lives of eternal significance. Man, that that almost sounds like a mission statement. I like that. Yeah, I like that. You might have written that down somewhere. <laughs> so, um, man, I just I really appreciate uh, your humility in all this. Um, I can tell you from a firsthand experience, man, you are instrumental in transforming the men's ministry here at Faith Bridge to something that that was present but not really to something that's front and center man and you have been used by God in such amazing ways here uh, to transform the lives of the men here at Faith Bridge all this energy and excitement and the reason why the men's ministry is going to continue after you're gone is because of how God has used you and again, the word transforming the men's ministry into something that is significant. Um, so I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I can't thank you enough for taking that lead role. Um, you know, I met you in Zambia. I didn't know who this, this goofy guy was. Little did I know that you're going to be a big part of my story and my journey and my faith and my encouragement moving forward. So I can't thank you personally enough for that. And I'm excited for what God has for you moving forward. I mean, you're gonna, you're uh, gonna be a difference maker and an earth shaker, and I oh. love it, brother. So, um, yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm Thank excited you so for much, you. man. It's been a joy and a pleasure, and I'm grateful that um, for all. And I know I speak for my wife too. You know, for the many friends and family we have here at Faith Bridge, that uh, even if we're not walking the halls here uh, on Sunday anymore, we're we're just down the road. We're always a text message away. And, uh, you know, we're continuing to partner together in the gospel, even if it looks like, uh, you know, different than it has in this most recent season. Yeah, that's awesome. And that, that is a true story. He does answer text pretty quick, so that's a good <laughs> thing. 
Well, we are so thankful for your service and leadership over the years, and we know the Lord has big things in store. Uh, we are excited um, as individuals and as an organization to be able to continue to encourage and support you in this. Um, thank you for sharing your story and letting us be a part of it. Um, and men, thank you for joining us today on this journey to fight the good fight, to believe the true gospel and be transformed by the gospel. If you want to stay in the loop with what the Lord is doing in and through Mace and his family, go to faithbridge.org forward slash Perez family to find out how. And if you want to submit any of those questions for our summer series, FAQs, go to faithbridge.org forward slash men. And if you enjoyed this episode, hey, please rate it, subscribe to it, share this podcast so more men can be reached with the gospel and lock arms to fight the good fight together. And that brings this podcast podcast to a close. Thank you very much, Mace. Thank you for allowing me to uh, be the guest host today. And uh, we hope you men have a very intentional, surrendered life. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, brother. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.